Our scripture lesson this morning is from the Gospel of John, verses 14 through 18. The Gospel of John, verses 14 through 18. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would be with us in this hour of worship as we study your word. Help us to see something new, something about Jesus, something life-changing. Help us to be better witnesses for you in our lives and in our words. Fill us with the joy of the Lord and the joy of our salvation and the true joy of Christmas this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I hope you all had a great Christmas. We had a wonderful Christmas in our family. Our son, Brian, is home from college and with us. We spent Christmas Eve with my mother and my older brother and sister-in-law. My younger brother uh, had his own white Christmas. He went out to Vail to ski, uh, which he loves to do. Uh, But then we spent Christmas Day with our daughter Amy and our son-in-law Mark, and on top of that, the Lord gave us this beautiful white Christmas, Uh, something that only happens around here maybe once in a decade or less, and uh, this was the second largest white Christmas on record, and I really can't remember much about 1969 except that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. But it was a wonderful Christmas. Of course, the snow does present some problems. Uh, Last night, Robert and I were texting back and forth about whether we were going to have church today. And many churches were canceling their services. And uh, we did decide to meet today. But it's not surprising that a number of people weren't able to make it. Lisa and I were concerned. And So we decided not to try to get out on the road because of the ice and the snow, and we uh, just walked through the snow to get here this morning. So I hope you appreciate that. We all love the Christmas story as we find it in Matthew and in Luke and their Gospels, and as we read it every Christmas season. But I love this first chapter of John, 
which is a prologue to his gospel. And John doesn't tell us anything about Mary and Joseph, about the birth of Christ, about a baby in a manger, about angels or shepherds or wise men or a great star. We don't find any of that in John's gospel. Instead, John describes the incarnation of Christ in these great theological and I would say cosmic themes. And we read about it in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then he goes on to verse 14, and he says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, there are at least three sermons in that verse, and I'm only going to preach one of them. But you could preach a whole sermon on the first phrase, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And you could preach a whole sermon on the last phrase, full of grace and truth. But what strikes me and what I want to speak about this morning is the second phrase where John, who as a young man was the youngest of the disciples and an eyewitness to the earthly ministry of Christ, John says, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the Father. We've seen it. We saw it. And that's the perspective from which he writes his gospel. We saw his glory. Now, this morning I want to ask us the question, what did John see? What was it that John saw that caused him to write this gospel, that caused him to dedicate the rest of his long life 
through ups and downs, through persecutions. But for the rest of his life, he steadfastly preached this gospel and told people of what he had seen. What did he see? Can we see that today? And then, have you seen it? Have you seen his glory? The first thing that I think we should see is that the glory of Christ is far greater and more wonderful than we could ever imagine. The glory of Christ is far greater and more wonderful than we could ever imagine. Now, the Jews were familiar with the idea of the glory of God. And the Old Testament speaks about the glory of God, the the Shekinah glory, the cloud of glory that would fill the tabernacle and fill the temple. And, and indicate the earthly presence of God among men. And so in Exodus 33, Moses is leading the people. And yet I think he needs just a little more assurance. Now I've never led uh, a nation of two million people wandering around in a wilderness. But I know what it's like to to lead something, and uh, it will drive you to your knees. It will drive you to dependence on God. And, And I understand exactly what Moses is saying here when he says, Lord, if you want me to do this thing, if you want me to lead these people, and I don't have a road map, and I don't know what the future holds, and these people are kind of hard sometimes to deal with, He says, I need to see your glory. I need to see your glory. And we read in Exodus 33, 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he, God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by, and then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. The glory of God. Sinful men, even Moses, a great man but still a sinner, could not look on the face of God because of the glory of God. And then we read in Exodus 40 when the tabernacle was set up. In verse 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because of the cloud that settled on it and of the glory of the Lord that filled 
the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord. And the same thing happened when the temple was built many years later. Uh, We read in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verses 1 through 3. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, his prayer of dedication, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And it's this glory of the Lord that John speaks about when he says, We have seen his glory. We have seen his glory, glory as as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God is far greater and more wonderful than we could ever imagine. In Isaiah 45, the prophet Isaiah says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In Colossians 1.19, we read, For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He is the radiance. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. And then in Hebrews 2, 7, and 8, You made him a little lower than the angels, yet you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. As Leon Morris writes in his commentary, John is saying to his readers then that the glory that had been manifested in one way or another in the wilderness wanderings and later at the dedication of Solomon's temple was manifested in its fullness in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. All the previous manifestations had been partial. As great as they were, As thrilling as they were, as frightening as they were, they were partial manifestations of the glory of God. He writes, now came that manifestation that was appropriate for the only Son from the Father. The glory of Christ is far greater and more wonderful than we could ever imagine. But secondly... I want us to see this morning that the glory of Christ is not really what we would look for or expect. 
the glory of Christ is not what we would look for or expect. You see, John makes this astounding statement as an eyewitness of the life and ministry of Christ. He says, we have seen his glory. But there's something funny about this. There's something else going on here that we shouldn't miss. Because when you write a gospel and in the opening prologue you say, we have seen his glory. And when you were one of the three disciples who accompanied Jesus to the transfiguration, when they saw that he was transfigured and his face was changed and it was and it was glowing and the glory of the Lord came down upon them. You would expect John to highlight the transfiguration in his gospel. But just as he leaves out the, the narratives about Jesus' birth, John, who begins by saying, we have seen his glory, never mentions the transfiguration. Doesn't mean that he wasn't saying it didn't happen. He wasn't saying that. But it it must not have been crucial to what John was trying to say when he said, we've seen his glory. I think John was talking about something else. Something in addition to the transfiguration when he said, we have seen his glory. And we get a hint of it in a number of places in the New Testament and then as we study John's gospel. In Philippians 2, as we read Paul's description of Jesus emptying himself, uh, laying aside the glory of, of heaven that was rightfully his, in order to take on human flesh, we see something else. Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What a condescension. To, to, to leave the right hand of the Father and the glory of heaven and his exalted position as the only Son of God, one in essence with the Father, to humble himself, to be born a man, to be born a child, 
to become a servant of us all in his life and most of all in his death by dying on the cross for our sins. And we understand the significance of that a little bit more if we look at Jesus' own teaching. In Luke 22, he writes a dispute. Luke writes, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. If ever anyone deserved to be served, deserved to be given special treatment, deserved to be given all the things that this world has to offer, it was Jesus. And yet he came among us as a servant, as the servant of all. And so Leon Morris writes, the trouble with our vision is that we instinctively look for the glitter in the show. Public recognition and praise are important to us. We insist on being recognized and are upset when people do not accept us for what we think we are. John is saying that God is not like that. Real greatness does not need to assert itself. Real glory is not to be found in pomp and circumstance and pageantry and show. That is just so much glitter, it does not matter. Real glory is different. Real glory is to be seen in lowly service when something must be done and someone so great and high that he need not do it, nevertheless leaves his exalted place and does the lowly thing. That, John is saying, is glory indeed. You know what I'm talking about? You know, right after the Christmas season, we have the after Christmas sale season and Right after the after Christmas sale season, we have what? The college bowl season, right? I mean, you know, that, that's what we have. And there's all this excitement in a, a big football game, and so uh, especially when it's a hard-fought game, two equally matched teams, and, and maybe a national championship is on the stake. And everybody wants to be the winner. Everybody wants to be number one. And they limit how much celebration you can do in the end zone. But believe me, there's a lot of celebration that goes on when you catch that touchdown pass, when you, when, when you break through the line and, and you run for the end zone, when the, when, when the game ends with the, the winning field goal. There's a lot of jumping and celebrating and shouting and heroes being acknowledged and people never forget those moments for the rest of their lives. And there's a, there's a moment of glory there, a fleeting moment of glory. We were the winners. 
We were the best on this day, in this season. That's the way we think about glory. People look at me. People look at us. Look what we did. John is saying here and throughout the rest of his gospel, yes, the glory of Jesus is far greater than you can imagine, but it's different from what you would expect. Jesus' glory is not like the glory of an earthly king who's surrounded by officials and by pomp and by circumstances. You know, you know we do this with our presidents. You know, we, we have Air Force One. I, I, I think about whenever the president takes a trip, uh, maybe he takes a trip to Asia or he makes one of these surprise trips to Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, and, and we put the president in Air Force One. I think about how much fuel it must take and, and how many people it takes to support Air Force One. And we fly the president across the ocean in, well, what now is the next to largest plane in the world, but a very large plane. And you can say, well, they, they have to have all that communications equipment in there, you know, and they have to have Secret Service agents and all that sort of stuff. Believe me, they could make it smaller. Why do we send our president in the biggest plane that we could buy at the time they, they made it? Why? We want to make a statement. When the, we don't want the president to land in, 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 in just a, a, a private jet or, or, or even a regular-sized airliner. We want him in a jumbo jet. That's, that's appointed with all sorts of luxury appointments and we want him to walk out and we want the people of that nation to see this is a very great man. This is a very great country that could send this man here. That's the kind of greatness and the kind of glory that we understand and that we're used to and we recognize when we see it. It's also a kind of glory that doesn't really last. You know, it doesn't really last. The, 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 the game's over. The season ends. Next year, there's somebody else and you or yesterday's news. Presidents reach the end of their term. Somebody else has their turn on the plane. The plane grows old and it gets replaced. And it's a glory that fades. There's another kind of glory. There's a glory of service. There's a glory in character. There's, there's a glory in giving to something, some cause, some mission that doesn't fade. That, that maybe is much quieter and you don't see it initially. But when you do see it, you never forget it. That's the kind of glory that John is talking about. That's the kind of glory that John is talking about. I uh, obviously never met Mother Teresa, but, but read about her and saw her on television. And when you see someone who is saintly, 
and I'm not speaking in the Roman Catholic sense, but, but someone who dedicates their life to a higher calling than their own personal pleasure, than their own personal fulfillment, than, than their own personal glory. And they give and they give and they give. And you're around that person. It's a life-changing experience. And I think that's what John is saying. Most of all, when he says, we have seen the glory of God. We were with Jesus. We saw him. Oh yeah, we saw the transfiguration, but that's not what I want to talk to you about. We saw his glory. We saw the word become flesh and dwell among us and come down to earth and live among us. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And he went to the poor. And he went to the humble and the lowly and the sinners and the tax collectors. And he brought a message of grace and love and salvation to them. And he cared for them. And he healed their sicknesses. And he taught them how to live. And ultimately, he gave his life, his sinless, perfect life, he gave it for sinners. He gave it for you and me. We saw his glory. And so the writer of Hebrews says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The central point is that John saw the death of Jesus on the cross as the supreme example of glory. This is what Leon Morris writes. Not as the shameful thing his contemporaries thought it was. Jesus lived a life of humility, of lowliness, of rejection. Then he accepted the most shameful of deaths. And in that way, he performed the ultimate service. He took away the sins of the world. And John is saying that that is what real glory means. I see little glimpses of glory. In Jesus, we see the fullness of God's glory, but we see little glimpses of glory all around us. I see little glimpses of glory when, when Sunday school teachers take the time to prepare a lesson and come and teach children who are wiggly and squirmy and are probably thinking about their Christmas toys. But, but there's a teacher who's teaching the gospel to them, teaching them how they need, what they need to know to live, how they can know Christ, how they can be ready to meet Him. I see glimpses of the glory of God Every Tuesday and Thursday, when, when tutors come to, to 
to teach children. You know, we could just go right on with our church and never do that. It doesn't really affect the bottom line. It doesn't add a dollar to our revenue. It doesn't make any sense from a business standpoint. But here are children who need help. They need help with their homework. Their parents may not be able to help them, maybe because of a language barrier, maybe because of of other reasons, but they're not able to help them. And these children, we know, uh, their success depends really on, 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 on a couple of things. And, and, and one is, will they come to know the God who created them? Will they allow the power of Christ to change them so that they can resist some of the, the influences of the world that might lead them astray and they can live the abundant life on this world that Christ came to teach us and promise us an eternal life in heaven with him. They need to know that. And then they need an education in the world that we live today. You need an education. And if you don't get one, then uh, the doors of opportunity close. And so we have this wonderful tutoring ministry, people who give their time and their and, and, and their hearts to it. And we don't get anything in return. And you see a little glimpse of glory in that. So many other things. My wife had an appointment with a doctor this week, and he's a surgeon, and you know, was a very successful surgeon, was a considered himself an atheist. His wife was a Christian, but he was an atheist. And he began to seek, what's the meaning of life? And he said, he read, there was an article on on the wall, written up in the newspaper about his conversion. And we read it, and it said he began to read philosophy, and he couldn't find the answers he was looking for in philosophy. That was sort of my experience, too. I think philosophy is worth reading, logic particularly. Uh, what what you see at its very best are people groping to to discern wisdom from folly and truth from error, but they never can find it. They can come close, a few did, but they can't find it because the truth that we really need has to be revealed by God. And so then he picked up his Bible and he began to read the Bible And he found in that the truth that he was looking for and the meaning he was looking for, and he became a Christian. And not long after that, he spent the next six or eight years of his life in Africa teaching doctors over there how to do surgery, current techniques and practices. And he still goes over for a couple of months every year. There's glory in that. There's glory in that. The glory is not found necessarily where we would expect to see it. And it's only revealed to those who have the eyes of faith to see it. In Hebrews 2.8 we read, At present we do not see everything in subjection to him. We don't. 
it's easy to become discouraged. Uh, we, we feel like the church is in retreat in America. You know, this, this year more than it, and ever before, next year it will be worse. It's, it's not Merry Christmas, it's Happy Holidays, you know? Happy Holidays. My son went up to Boston for a job interview, and I was reading about Boston uh, on the uh, Internet. They were very proud of the fact they had the largest holiday tree in all of New England. Well, whoop-de-doo. <laughs> I just wonder if anybody ever says, well, what's this holiday all about? It's very easy for us to uh, begin to think, you know, we're on decline. Oh, we've got to keep Christ in Christmas. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Jesus told Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see it. You can't, you can't see the progress of the kingdom of God. You can't see it happening. You, you, can't, you can't see the truth. You can't see the light unless the Holy Spirit has done a work of regeneration in your heart unless you have been born again by his spirit. Paul writes, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Paul John says, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. Glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But it's not where you expect it, and you won't see it, except the Holy Spirit removes the veil from your eyes and enables you to see the glory of God. But that glory of God that was first fully manifested in the life, in the ministry, and in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. If you do see it, if God does reveal it to you, it will change your life forever. It will change your life forever. John writes, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you see this glory of God in the ministry of Jesus and in the, in the ministry of his people as it continues and grows to this day, in the truth of his word as it speaks to your heart, if you see the glory of God, it will change you forever. 
Paul writes, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Leon Morris writes, when we have entered into the meaning of the death of Jesus... We see that for us, as for him, real glory is in lowly service. The Christian way is not a way in which we look for people to praise us, to recognize us for what we think is the full extent of our merit. Real glory, rather, is finding some useful piece of service, no matter how lowly, and doing it as well as we can. And unless we see that, We do not understand what Christian service is. The call to Christian service is a call to take up our cross daily and to walk in the steps of him who for our sake took up his cross. You and I were never eyewitnesses of Jesus' earthly ministry, of his teaching, of his miracles, or of his transfiguration. But I believe that like John, we can see his glory. The glory that really counts. The glory that really changes lives. The glory that's going to change the world. In all the acts of love and kindness and humble service that Jesus performed. In his coming down to earth to be our Savior, and especially in the cross where the sinless Lamb of God died for the sins of the world. That's a kind of glory that you and I can see if we know what to look for, if we look with eyes of faith. Have you seen his glory? Let us pray. Father in heaven, what an astounding thing to say we have seen his glory. The glory that terrified the people of the Old Testament when it filled the tabernacle and the temple. The glory that made the face of Moses shine after he had been in the presence of God. The glory of the person of Christ transfigured on the mountain. But even more to see his glory in all the acts of lowly service the pouring out of his life for us on the cross. May we see that no one's ever walked this earth like Jesus. No one's ever given of himself for others like Jesus. No one ever died for us and for our sins like Jesus. May we see his glory. And may we be changed forever because of it.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.